Welcome to another installment of Show to View with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Mezcal, Australia, Mexico City, and so much more with today's guest from Marco Negra, Mr. Carlos Sara. He's an amazing guy into great music, and he was actually in town recently to host a Mezcal class at Las Perlas, but also to see the war on drugs at Stubbs. The guy has been on Vice. He's been heavily covered in the media, and he's a really great personality at the ripe old age of 35, business savvy guy, and Mescal intersected with his entrepreneurial spirit, and now he's peddling the wonderful juice from Marca Negra, and we get to sip some of that new San Martin, brilliant Mescal, and brilliant chat. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Carlos Sada of Marca Negra. I think for us, in, and I'm not going to lie, it's been, that's a subject that we've thought of it not until lately. Mm. You know, when you start a company and a business that grows so fast and it demands so much of your time, it's hard to focus on every aspect of the business. Of course. But um, it's something, sustainability and waste and pollution is something that's, that's always been on our mind. And we, we finally need had the chance to start, a, um, especially in a hoodlet, to start dealing with, dealing with that. Yeah. And um, Pedro, who's my business partner, and he, he's who, who founded Mezcal Marca Negra, yeah. he's, he's in charge of that area, and he's been, um, and he's been in touch with, with, with people that are actually um, giving us consultation on how to deal with these wastes. That's amazing. And doing it directly with the maestro. Yeah. So to kind of make it a collaborative thing so you guys can together move forward with the process exactly. that is clean. So when you think, all right, so this is, let's talk about this business part of it, right, for a mm-hmm. second. What do you fancy your favorite part of the business? Do you like the marketing piece? Do you like operations? What's, Me? Is, yeah, personally. I've, when I first started with this business, I, I, really, I really love to go out to sell yeah. and to go around and tell people about the story and to educate them. And, and it's almost been six years that I've been in the business Six years ago, it was even more fascinating to go out and tell people what mezcal is because no one had a clue about right. it. Six years? It was like a different, whole different frontier then. It, it is. Yeah. I mean, six years doesn't sound that much time, but for an industry that's so small and in terms of, I mean, this industry really has, has boomed in the last three, four years. Yeah. And it's really been on the map for the last, what, 10 years? I mean, besides the right. 20 years that Del McGay has been doing it, and that's a whole different story, but to commercially be out there where where you've seen other brands like Alipus or Danzantes that yeah. have been in the market for 10, 12, 14 years. I mean, six six is a lot. That's a long time, yeah. And the industry has evolved and changed in those in those past six years a lot. So six years ago, when I would, I, I remember I would go out to a restaurant carrying a few bottles of, I, I, I used to work with a lot of brands, yeah. up to 30 different brands. Jeez. 
All mezcal? All mezcal. Yeah. All mezcal or, or agave. Well, agave. Agave. Yeah. agave. Like I, I saw how we had some raisillas back, back, back then. Wow. And I'll tell you more about, about how I, I got into that, but it was a different story because you had to tell people what mezcal was. People didn't even know what agave was. Right. right. I didn't know. Seven years ago, I didn't even know what I, like how, I How old are you now? I'm 30. I just turned 35. Okay, okay. So you've been, this is kind of your adulthood is, and your business-mindedness has been immersed in mezcal. Exactly. Yeah. It's been. And, and it's been really fascinating to see how, it's, how the industry has changed and how my likes for the industry have changed. Yeah. And before, it was a lot about educating for me. And, we, and don't get me wrong. It's not that we don't do that as a brand. Right. All, most of our focus and all of our marketing efforts go towards education and towards telling people about more, more and more about what mezcal is and not, well, not that much about what mezcal is now, but about the complexity of, 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 the, of the category. Sure. But now my role has significantly changed into spreading the word internationally. So now my role is, is more marketing and, and I liaison or I, I, I talk to all the people that, are, that, are, that want mezcal outside of Mexico, mm -hmm. basically. So I'm the main contact for the brand. If you think of America as the number one market, what is number two in the, the in the world? I, I'm thinking London, but I don't or UK, but I'm not really sure. I mean, num number numbers are still a bit shady, and I I never rely on the numbers that come out in yeah. different articles. If I can tell you from from yeah, our, what do you feel like is well? I mean, I can tell you from from our numbers. Okay, I mean, from our numbers, uh, the U.S. is the number one. Yeah. And now with our new alliance with Philips Distilling, it's going to be number one by far. Yeah. But in Europe, where Europe as a whole would have to be a second, a second place. But a, a specific country for us would be Germany. Germany. Germany is going to this year, actually in next next week, um, we're going to be in Germany for the Bar Comment, and we're going to be relaunching our brands with a new partner. No kidding. They're they're actually our new global partner. The, the, um, it's a company called Borco. Okay. It's a family-owned company. They own a tequila brand, the, the biggest tequila brand in Europe. Which one? It's called um, Sierra, Sierra Tequila. Okay, okay. It's a, I mean, it's a, you've probably seen that, the, the bottle. It's a tequila that's been out there for like 25 years. No kidding. It's, right. a, it's a bottle that has a, a little sombrero on top. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like a little red sombrero. And... Um, but these guys have great distribution in Germany and Austria, and they also have global presence in 90 countries. Wow. So we found some common ground with them. They're really excited about bringing on mezcal to their portfolio. They, they don't only do tequila. They do high-end whiskeys, Japanese whiskeys. They do um, gins, rum. Right. They do so a, they a whole a, family. They have a whole products. family. And um, so for now... What we're projecting next year, Germany is going to be our, our second market. That's so strange. What do you think it resonates in Germany? I, I, I don't know. I, I have actually my, my girlfriend's German. Okay. So I've I've had a chance to blend more into into the German culture. Yeah. I've tried to to learn how to speak um, German, but it's way too hard. It's really a tough language. <laughs> yeah, it's really really hard. But um, what I've noticed is that Germans are really curious and they're really well educated on what they drink and what they consume. Yeah. And for some reason that I can't really explain right now, Germans really like Mexico and Mexican culture. And I think if you put Mexican culture into a, into a spirit with so much tradition, so much 
um, complexity and so much to tell about, it's easy to get them to drink it. Right. You know, I do have a theory, too. Yeah? Meeting people from Ireland quite often, actually, mm -hmm. big whiskey movement here in the States, they say we've never seen anything like Mexico before, right? It's such a foreign terroir just visually. They haven't seen mountains like that. So in a way, it's like these, this just amazing oasis in the middle of the desert, and it kind of maybe takes them there, and they wouldn't get a chance to be there otherwise. Mm -hmm. you know? I kind of wonder if that's part of it, too, but it's, it's a very smart country, very witty. Yeah. And you, you're saying Germany. And Germany. Germany. Oh, yeah. yeah. As I'm sure you get all the time from your girlfriends. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Germany is, it's, it's really complex. I mean, and there's this typical, like this stereotype about the Germans now that they're really, they're strict and they're uptight and they're, but they also have this really this soft side yeah. that, um, that I think that's where Mescal comes in. You know, this emotive side, and, and most Germans that I've now that I've gotten to meet, besides my girlfriend and fr friends that I made over there, they're people that are sensitive, just as Mexicans are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the, where the space opens for, for them to really um, embrace other cultures and embrace Mexican culture, which yeah. Mexican culture and Mezcal specifically, that represents uh, our, our culture in, main, in so many ways. Mm. I think um, that's where Mescal really goes where well. Where it finds its pockets. Where it finds its pockets, yeah. exactly. It makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Well, so then, it, then we're going back. You, was Mescal, all right, so we talk about you as a kid, right? Mm -hmm. What kind of kid were you? Were you playing music? Were you into math? Were you into science? What kinds of things really interest you as you're growing up outside of Mexico City? I was, uh, what kind of kid I was? I was just a... Uh, a really bad-behaved kid. <laughs> I, I really was. Yeah. I really was. I mean, I, I grew up um, in a family that was really loving, but both my parents. Right. I have I have an older sister, and um, and when I was a kid, I I was just I had a lot of energy. Yeah. I I loved sports. I grew You're up. You're pretty tall, so it was soccer. Sorry. Football. No, I actually uh, a football American. Yeah. Football. Oh, American football. American football. Yeah. Which, believe it or not, it's quite big in in Mexico. Yeah. And um, most of my life, since well, I think I was eight years old, I started playing football up to when I was 18 years old. It were defined by me playing in football teams. No kidding. What position? Give me I, the build. I, I played as a wide receiver. I played oh, as okay. a tight end. Yeah. And, um, and mostly those, those That makes those, sense. Those receiver for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I really enjoy that. I really enjoy that. And I, I think that's still one of, the, it's one of the sports that I still really like and follow. Yeah. Not as much as I, I, I hoped I, I did, but, um, but I really like football, American football, because it's, it's a team sport. Right. And I think team sport, it's, if, if you start um, practicing since you're small and young, um, I think they form you in a way. Do you and feel he, like it kind of calms you down a bit? Like to have that outlet? Yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah. Of course. It calms you down. Hit, like hit I, somebody, right? Like yeah. Like, yeah. And I mean, just, I mean, because just training football, you, I would train from Monday to Friday every day for two to three hours. Yeah. So I would just get home and, and sleep. Yeah. And my mom would really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> just go ahead to the gym, you know, go yeah, play yeah. football for a bit. They'll take care of you. Mm -hmm. Then the projection, you know, when you think about, you, was that a possibility to do that professionally, like going into college? Is that something that you pursued? Um, football itself. Play football? Yeah. I played until mid high school and i did want to i did want to continue playing yeah. and i it, it was in it was it was in my head but to be honest 
I ran into alcohol and into partying. Yeah. And that one. <laughs> I'm not going to the, lie. They're, they're muses, man. They, they'll not, take I'm, you in some directions. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I, I really like to party. Yeah. And I've always liked to party and to go out. And I've always had a, a, a I don't know if you say, a big social life. Yeah. Gregarious guy. You yeah. like, do you like, you know, because we're here at Las Perlas, you get this presentation at seven. You're going to be in front of a crowd kind of talking and educating about Mexico. Is that your element to be there? And have people listening to you and hinging on your every word. I, I, I like I like the attention because I I I see it mostly from a commercial point of view where I'm doing something to make my business grow. Yeah. But to be honest, deep deep inside, I don't really like that much attention. I get nervous. Really? Yeah, yeah. I like people wouldn't notice it maybe because I'm 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 good at hand, but I would get nervous about standing in front of a crowd of like. 20 to 30 people or even being in front of a camera yeah that's why i asked you earlier right, yeah. like, i hope it's only audio because being in front of a camera i get so, i, I get really nervous i don't know what to do with my hands yeah me either <laughs> that's like, it's one of those things where like now i just have one way in which i have to kind of have character and that is up down right yeah. like that's very easy but then if you're should i shave should i wear a buttoned up <laughs> shirt like all these exactly. fucking things to think about you know well so this partying thing which we all kind of experience mm -hmm. it seems like you did venture into business pretty quickly did you start to get did your parents play any role in kind of guiding where your career was gonna go um i think in a way i mean my parents were always open for me to do whatever i wanted yeah they always encouraged me to especially when i went to college they wanted me to go to college sure. and they paid for for me to go to college and basically my dad told me you can study whatever you want mm. At that time, I was when I had to make that decision. I was like 17 years old. I was in high school, and I was like, "Well, I do like business, but I don't really know much about it." And I really liked airplanes at the time. Airplanes. Airplanes. And I actually thought and really wanted into being a becoming a commercial pilot. No kidding. Yes, and I remember having one talk with my dad, and and I was between studying law. Because I really like to talk, yeah. <laughs> and I thought I was good at defending people and arguing. <laughs> arguing, that's good. Yeah. And um, and I had this whole different picture about what law was back then because I was seventeen. Sure. Like I did, especially when you grow up as a kid in Mexico, and you see the movies and you see everything is American content. Yeah. Or ninety percent of what you see on TV or read or is is is, is American influence. Right. So I thought that being a lawyer was going to be different. You know, it was, it was going to be like this, like you're standing bef um, um, before a jury and in front of a jury and yeah. you're telling them all these things and defending, you know. And so it was between that or becoming a commercial pilot. And I, I remember I sat down with my dad and I asked him, I was like, I don't know what to study. He was like, he was like well, it's simple. Do you want to be away half of your life and not be at home? Do you want to be traveling all the time? I was like, no, I actually don't. I was like, well, don't become, don't become a pilot. Yeah, do whatever you want. I was like, oh, you know what? I That's really logical. I yeah. wanna, I wanna start studying. Um, I, I wanna become a lawyer. And one of the reasons why I want to become a lawyer, besides the fancy, good suits, good suits, <laughs> it was, was because I could start working right away. Oh, and I wanted to make money. Just because my my parents didn't give me, didn't give me that much money right. like, to support the lifestyle that I wanted. What, were they in law by chance? Is that no, 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 no. My dad worked for a he worked for a software company okay. most of his life, yeah. an American software company. 
and my mom she she's an english teacher and she's done a lot of things through her life but um they have nothing to do with law interesting okay and um and yeah so i got into law school you did yeah in, in mexico city i studied I, I started working since even before the day i started um school yeah. law school i started working I worked in different companies and law firms through, through 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 school, and I was really good at it. And I made good money. And I, it's it's one of the few careers that you can actually intern and make money during in Mexico yeah. and make decent money. I mean, what kind of law are we talking? Contractual? Like well, so it, when when you study law in Mexico, you you study for it's just like general. It's like a general branch, and then okay. at in the last two semesters, you can specialize in whatever you want. Got it. Okay. I specialize in corporate law. Okay. So when I was finishing school, I was working at a big company that um, that owned. It, it was more like a holding company that owned a bunch of um, gas stations okay. and well, petrol stations and restaurants and bars and even like um, car dealerships. Right. It was a big company that had like over three hundred different companies, and I, I I used to look at the legal side on the corporate side legal corporates yeah so you get exposure to all kinds of things there. yeah, yeah all, everything from labor law to even crime law because um um real estate law all these yeah. kind of which was good because i, I learned a lot and I, I learned a lot that, and that's where i got i really like i got the taste for having a for business for business itself because you get i mean again it's nice to work in it so the so many different markets in one place mm-hmm. you get to put your finger on the pulse of gas stations soft you know what i mean like all these different things so did you develop this kind of sense that you wanted to do something for you yeah i, I got it on there. your own i mean i after two years after i graduated i i stayed there for like two years and a half and i remember one it was one summer that i was like i was working from nine to six yeah. sometimes nine to nine nine to ten i had a lot of work but i wasn't i didn't own my time yeah and one day I got fed up. I was like, I need to leave this place. I need to do this, uh, something on my own. I think I have enough skills. And I want to start my own business. But yeah, one, I, I, d- I didn't have enough money to yeah. start my own business. And I didn't really have the, no- the knowledge to manage a business. So I decided to look out to go out and, and start an MBA. Yeah. Which you did in... This because you've, you've been to Melbourne. You studied mm-hmm. there. You studied in Monterey too, right? No, no, no. no. Just no, Mexico I, City. Maybe Monterey. I, I went to high school, but it, uh, it's called the Tech de Monterrey. Oh, I see. Okay. Which they have a bunch of campuses around gotcha, uh, gotcha. around the country, but I, it was in Mexico City. Got it. Okay. But I did my MBA in in um in Australia in Melbourne. So what, I moved to Melbourne. What? For, so it seems random to me. How did you connect with that particular school? To be honest, I remember I was at a party once before. <laughs> All these, all these ideas, yeah, they yeah. started at, party, at a party. I was at a party, and I was trying to figure out where to go study. I wanted to come here to the States. Yeah. I wanted to go, to go to a good university, but when I realized the prices for, a, for an MBA, it was like, back then it was like $40,000 a year, and it was two years. Like, I don't have $80,000. Yeah. Plus, I can't work. And these were full-time MBAs, and I was like, I can't work. I can't make enough money to, to do it, and I didn't, I didn't really have the money to pay for it. For, pay for it for myself. Yeah. So I started looking into other options. Someone at a party told me you should look into Australia. Like Australia in Australia, um, you can actually get um, scholarships because they always give out like they have like a quarter for Latin Latins that come Got to it. Australia. Okay, yeah. And um, and you can work. 
Oh, like, so you can oh. make money and it's cheaper. Exactly. And I was like, oh, well, I'll look into that. Yeah. And I remember the next Monday, I was, I, I was in the office. I looked up and I was like, oh, Australia, MBAs. I looked into Melbourne and I, I found a university and I sent my application. Yeah. And the next week, they re- replied, I was like, you're, you're accepted. Come. You're going to get a 35% scholarship. I That's like, incredible. I'll come. And I w- two months after, I was in, a, I was in Melbourne. Wow. Well, so the thing that I think that's really kind of applicable here is uh, starting a, a company, starting a mezcal brand, I think any of that stuff, a lot of people don't realize that it comes from someplace, that you have to really know what you're doing to just start a company, you know? And I like the concept, and I think it's applicable for people in the States or even in Mexico specifically. Go to Australia, mm-hmm. <laughs> save some money, work, and get an MBA. And mm-hmm. how was that experience for you? Did you learn a lot? There? It was fantastic. Yeah. I, I can still dare to say that they were the best two years of my life. Oh, no kidding. I mean, in terms of having fun and being chilled and relaxed. Yeah. And did you think, uh, did you feel like you grew up a lot in those two years? I think I grew up in, in social terms because, yeah. I, I mean, most of my life I lived it in Mexico where society and now Mexico is totally different, yeah. especially Mexico City is completely different of, of what, what it was eight or ten years ago, where there was there wasn't that much many foreigners there. Yeah. In, in Australia, what I think what I learned there was that everyone that was that's there, most of the people are, or most of the people are there, are are foreigners. Yeah, so a nice you, melting pot. Exactly, it's a it's a melting pot. It's a place where you learn and you explore your abilities to relate to people right. and to find your way and to be nice. And everyone's so much nicer over there for some. I think that's the reason yeah. because everyone's in the same or in this similar state of necessity sure. of of relating. Right. Well, and they it's they're, they haven't lived there their whole life. They're not jaded yet. Right. Exactly. They're in the moment. And yeah, most Australians have, but there are a lot. Most of the people that I met there were from everywhere, and yeah. I have I had friends there from really good. There's still really good friends from from Spain, from Italy, from from here, from the U.S., yeah. from all, 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 all these places. And I really like that. I, I really enjoyed the diversity of. Especially Melbourne, because right. Australia's not all, not all like that. But Melbourne, no, Melbourne's cool. I mean, Melbourne's I haven't cool. been there, but it's some great people from there. Great music. Too, yeah, yeah. There's know? a great music scene, food scene, um, drink scene yeah. as well. I mean, it, it was fantastic. There's a lot of stuff. The, yeah. Is the Black Pearl in Melbourne? The what? The Black Pearl is that the one I'm thinking of? Is that Brisbane? There's a couple really great. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. The Everlay. It's, that's another one. Too. The Everlay. I think the Everlay is in, is in Melbourne. Yeah. When I was back, back then, I was I was a poor student, so I didn't <laughs> really couldn't afford to go out to like expensive cocktail yeah. clubs, and I would just drink beer and and maybe that tequila that I told you about. That's right. Yeah. That they had it there, <laughs> and I was like, it's this funny is not that a tequila, that but it's exactly. Yeah, exactly. it comes full circle. Is that crazy? Exactly. Exactly. It's it's, it's so funny because I think about it all the time. Like this bottle of tequila was the only tequila that I could get when I was in Australia, and now I'm gonna do business with these guys. No, it's the only tequila that's like alongside you for the ride in Europe. I mean, that's a really a brilliant thing. But so you finish the MBA, it takes two years, you're having a good time mm-hmm. in Australia. Did that provide you the clarity to say, okay, well now I know what I want to do? Mm-hmm. Not really. Well, <laughs> I, when I worked in in Australia, I, I worked uh, most of my time as a waiter, and then I ended up managing a a, a, a restaurant. Yeah. It was like a bistro, like an Italian bistro, which I really enjoyed and I really loved. Yeah. And when I was back there, I knew that I had to come back to Mexico because, I mean, I only had a visa for two years, mm. and I did want to stay in Australia, but not in the same position. I right. didn't want to be. I didn't want to wait or tables or manage restaurants. I, I wanted to have something of my sure. own. Yeah. 
And you can can you actually do that in Australia? Now you had to come back. Would there be any way you could stay and start a business there? I tried. Um, I got offered. I got offered like uh, to manage a, a Mexican restaurant, but I was like, I don't want to manage it. Right. Yeah. I want to have my own. Right. Right. So the plan was to come back to Australia after I finished. And um, but I really liked hospitality, and my my initial plan was to go to back to Mexico. Yeah. Either to start my own um, my own bar restaurant. I, w- I really wanted to start something quirky and cool, like, kind of like a Melbourne-ish bar in Mexico City. Yeah. But there, when I came back, the reality was completely different. I mean, to open a bar and restaurant in Mexico City, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because there, it's it, it's a business that does not depend on you completely. And what I mean by that is, like, if example, you get an alcohol license, and then maybe in a year. If there's elections and government's corrupt, which it is right. mostly, they'll come around and be like, hey, you need to give me money or you need to bribe me if you want to keep your, your alcohol license. Oh, jeez. And that happens a lot. I yeah. have a lot of friends that own and own bars and restaurants. And it's really un- it's, re- it's a really unsafe, I don't, I don't want to say unsafe business, but it's not a stable business. Un- in, yeah, unstable. In, 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 and I realized that when I came back. At the moment, I had a girlfriend from from Australia. Yeah, she she came, she, mo- she came with you. She came with me. Cool. So most of a most of my um of the reason for me to, to I, I wanted to come back to Australia because my girlfriend was from there, and eventually we wanted to come back to Australia. But I wanted to come with with something, something in my hands. Yeah. And that's when I turned into Moscow. Really? Yeah, yeah. And that was the main reason. I was like, I want to go back to Australia. And I was like, what can I take back to Australia? What can I take back to Australia that's cool, that represents Mexico, that's mine, that I can do, you know? And the day I got off the, the airplane, come back to Mexico from Australia, a friend of mine who was actually Australian and yeah. had been living in Mexico for a few months. Strange, yeah. He was like, hey, well, let's go have a mezcal. I was like, a mezcal? Like, what is a mezcal? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's like a tequila, but it's better. But I was like, okay, let's go. So he took me down to, um, down to Condesa. I remember so, so well about that day. He took me down to Condesa to a place called La Botica. Uh-huh. You know La Botica? Yeah. La Botica is, all, is their um, mezcal bars owned by the guys that own Mezcal is the Leyenda. Oh, okay, okay. Danny, it's Danny. D- Danny is a, he's a New partner York, right? in New York, yeah. in New York. But the guys in Mexico, those are the guys that own the the, the, the no bars kidding. in, and they have a, they have like three or four of them in, in Mexico, Mexico City. Yeah. And he takes me there, and we and I started drinking. So I was like, oh, this is really good, and I got wasted on mezcal <laughs> that day. I remember, and really cheap. It was really cheap mezcal back then. I was like. 40 pesos, which is probably like $2, yeah. uh, a, a, a copita or like a, a shot of, of mezcal. And I got really drunk, but I remember, I was like, this is what I have to take to, to Australia. People are going to love this in Australia. And it's Mexican and it's cool. And I remember there was a guy at the bar telling me what mezcal was. Yeah. And I, next day I woke up really hungover. I, I wasn't that hungover, which was surprising. And... Um, I woke up and I was like, I'm going to start doing some research. So I, I went on my computer, started doing some research, and I started to see what brands were out there and yeah. what was Mezcal. And I got into I got into a bit of information. And the, and the first brand that I ran into, guess which one was it? In terms of information? Yeah. Well, Del Miguel, right? Del Miguel. Yeah. Del Miguel was already being imported into, into, into Australia. Oh, it was? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And, and, and Pierre de Almas. Pierre de Almas, okay. And Pierre de Almas. Pierre, Pierre de Almas, I remember, I remember, had the coolest website. And I was like, wow, these guys have really cool brands. Yeah. 
they sell in a lot of places. I, I, they, I was like, this is a good business. Like, it's a cool business. Yeah. And, and I started getting into it. And one thing led to another. I needed to, have, I needed to get a job when I came back to Mexico. And it turned out that the company that I worked for before leaving, where I was uh, in, in the legal department, uh -huh. they owned and managed the Museum of Tequila and Mezcal in Mexico City. Oh, wow. It's called the MUTEM, or that's every abbreviation. And they offered me to manage the restaurant there. I was like, well, I'll, t I'll take this job. And I want to learn about mezcal. So I think I was like the perfect fit. Yeah. So I'm, I worked there for like three or four months. And I met a lot of people in the industry. Uh, like a, a lot of producers would come with their bottles and, and offer want them. You to they want wanted you to have to, them, right? They, they yeah. wanted to, to sell it at the bar right. and at the museum. Because we had a full-on museum that I would recommend to go. It's in a beautiful place. It's in Mexico City and... Um, in Plaza de Garibaldi, where you know all the mariachis play, it's yeah. like really typical near the Socalo, uh, like near down okay. the, the heart of downtown. Um, it's Garibaldi, and they have the Museum of Tequila and Mezcal. Sounds like it, a pretty good museum. I think I'm a, interested. It's a really cool museum, actually. I think it's a bit too modern for the concept, but it's, but it's but it's but it's really cool, and that's where I learned what Mezcal was. Yeah. And then I realized how important, how deep, and how complex uh, the category was, and I got hooked into it. I got it right away. I, when I started working there and I started to try all these different mezcals from different regions, different palenques, and people would bring them to me, and it was free. I was yeah. like, I really got hooked That's into mezcal. It's a good mezcal. gig, yeah. And I was like, I need to take this. So my first approach to mezcal was to, um, to get different brands and I was, and I wanted to import them, um, export them to to Australia, to go back to Australia. Right. And I met this guy who I partner up with, and this American guy. His name is Tori Smith, who I've always, I've, I'm always going to thank because he introduced me to the commercial side of mezcal, and he had this brilliant idea of um, of selling mezcal online. Ah, uh, yes, I know of Tori. You Actually. know, Tori uh -huh. from Mescals. Yes. So we partner up. I put. I had. A, I had a few. I had. A, I had a bit of money saved from from coming coming back from Australia, and we. I put it into the business, and we started um, selling mescal online. That wasn't a big a big success to right. sell mescal online. Why? Because e-commerce in Mexico at the time was was almost null. There right. was. No, no one was really buying anything online in Mexico. Well, it's, is the infrastructure even supported that well? Now it is. Now, now yeah, I think yeah. it's a good time to do it. But before, like six years ago, no one would trust for you to buy a bottle of mezcal for a thousand pesos, right. which is like fifty bucks, and then get it sent over. And people would. So we didn't really sell that much. But I, I did realize that there was, there was a lot of people that wanted to have mezcal in their bars because the category was starting to grow, and no one was, no one was selling it. Yeah. The producers didn't really have the, 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 didn't really have a sales force to go out and sell it directly to, to sure, bars or yeah. the or the brands. Not even Alipus or Del Miguel or, or who pack mezcales de leyenda, um, Union, Amores, like all those all those brands didn't didn't have, couldn't do it no because they were just starting. Yeah, so I was like, well, why don't we start selling it directly to bars and restaurants? So I started selling it directly to bars and restaurants, and after two months, we had like. 70 accounts Holy just in crap. Mexico City and we were shipping it to different bars because no one was selling it yeah and none of the major um, distribution companies that had it ha had any brands so we started doing I don't want to say quite well but well I yeah. mean it we paid the bills yeah sure well you're the only game in town it sounds like 
Yeah, we were we were basically the only ones selling mezcal. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, people got into the business afterwards. Sure. And there was when I ran into mezcal Mano Negra back then, which is now Marca Negra. Ah. And I met Pedro, and he, he I think he launched the, the the brand. Like he had the first bottle, like three three months into it, and. And we met, and we really hit it off. I really like the brand. Yeah. I really like Mezcal Mano Negra back then. I, I thought it was a beautiful bottle. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, I it it. it kind of, th- for me, I remember, I remember my first, first impression. I was like, this bottle is snobby because it's really different from all the other bottles that are just like long bottles with, right. a, with a label on top of it. But it's a short bottle. It looked, I, remember, I, I remember I thought it was like a whiskey. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but it's Mezcal. It's a bit snobby. But then I tried. I was like, this is really good Mezcal. Yeah. So it kind of had like this cool packaging, but it was really uh, like authentic mezcal. And um, and I met Pedro, and he told me his whole um, how he how he made it and why he made it, and he came in, the, and I fell in love with the brand. And I met Pedro, and he was like, I mean, we ha- I had the business distributing mezcals online and selling to, but it wasn't really making me that um, that much money. Right. So. Pedro was, he told me, why don't you come and sell exclusively Marca Negra or Mano Negra back then? And um, I was like, I will work for you, but we have to become partners and we have to start a new brand. Got it. Because I realized that there was, um, that Marca Negra was too expensive. Yeah. And that was obviously, that, that, was a, that was a barrier to getting into a lot of bars and restaurants because we needed an entry level. And that's when Meteoro came out. Amazing. Two years after we partnered up, we launched Meteoro. And um, thinking of a thinking of a, an entry level mezcal for right. people to drink, and still the same of the same level of quality and um, flavor and everything. It's all handmade. It's the same. I mean, liquid in ter- terms of um, quality is the same. But we did but we did want to dif- differentiate it in a different brand where people didn't think that it was a cheaper version of Marca Negra. Right. Because we didn't want to do that. We just wanted to create a whole new different concept. Which well, makes sense. Different tier product for you guys. Exactly. Yeah. And and to be honest, if you see our if you see if you see our social media and our marketing efforts and everything we do, Meteora is more of it's a brand that I not that I um I don't want to say that. Well, I relate more to it because it's it's it it, it came from me. Yeah, it's know? a brainchild, it's a creative project for you. Exactly. Yeah, it was a creative project for me, and I was I directly participated in in creating it. Right. You know, and and putting it together. Well, of course, it's got to be special. Yeah, it's your, yeah, it's your baby. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's it's my baby. Well, so we're here. You know, five years later, Marco Negra is everywhere. It is a highly esteemed, a highly respected mezcal in terms of. The, the, the flavor in terms of quality and all Thank of you. that. So y- you're traveling the world mm-hmm. sharing mezcal with people. That's a pretty good fucking gig. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I forget it. It's, it, it's, it's such a good gig. Dude, it's like you're, you know, you were talking about the Fleet Foxes show, right? Yeah. So in a way, you're in a different city, maybe not every night, but you're touring the world. Mm-hmm. Sharing your songs with yeah. people, man. Yeah. Wow. That's, right? a, that's a really good analogy. And yes. Feels good, I imagine. And making people happy. Yeah, happy with it. And then yeah. you had a, you, you know you you've had great press. You were with, working with Vice. There's a great article that you did with Noisy on Vice, mm-hmm. which was good. You seem to be a figurehead of the mezcal kind of movement. Do you figure, like, who's someone in this particular industry mezcal that you really look up to and still have a lot to learn from? I would say Ron Cooper. Yeah, Ron Cooper. As I told you earlier. Delmeque was one of the first brands that I re- ran into and that uh, were 
that really surprised not surprised me but that i really looked up to because they were there and they, yeah. they've been already in the market for 10 years That's and crazy. and then i had a chance to work a bit with del mcgay when i when i started um, distributing mezcals in mexico city and i did some gigs for them and then i met ron cooper in washington dc yeah. and i met michael gardner as well in mexico city who um michael gardner i believe is the president right now for okay. del mcgay and um but I remember, I remember meeting, I remember meeting Ron, and it was this guy that just had it figured out, you know, and he knew what he was selling, and he didn't have to justify why he was selling it, yeah. because it was a product that sold by. I mean, he's a beautiful, I, he's a great storyteller, and you can sit down with him and listen to his stories. And but what I really admired about him is that he didn't have to push his product because his product sold by itself, yeah. because it's so good. And it's in, and he knew exactly what people liked, and didn't have to have to tell you. Oh, you have to buy this because it's this, 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 this. Right. It just, it's you just, you just have to get so people to sip it. Yeah, just sip it, and 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 it's sold, and that's it. And he was really good making people sip it. Yeah, and liquid to lips, they call it, right? Exactly. So yeah, he's been a massive influence on this industry. I mean, he has an interesting art background too. I mean, mm -hmm. there's just lots of components of this guy. Lots of components to mezcal. It's very deep in art. It's got a cultural heritage and all of that. So I want to talk about, we've got a couple, I know you've got this, again, it's great because you're at Las Perlas, you're in Austin, probably the second time in a couple months, <laughs> yes. which you maybe two didn't weeks. expect. I was, here two. Two. I was here when they <laughs> opened this place two weeks ago. They're going to have to put a picture of you on the back. No, I think we have to. This is a beautiful place. It's really rad, isn't it? That's why I was really happy to come back here. I think this, I mean, the original Las Perlas in L.A., it does has always and it's been around for a while now, yeah. right? What at least five years? Yeah, yeah. And they do a fantastic job about um, promoting mezcal and getting people and educating about mezcal. Yeah. And now they're doing it here in Austin, yeah. which I think is even more fantastic. It's a great market for it, and I think people will warmly receive all the wonderful information you have to impart. Exactly. So let's talk about and we we, we kind of kicked this off starting to talk about the San Martin and you guys kind of leasing a distillery having. Your materials there, kind of operating. It was a really interesting process. This is the latest release. Yeah, this, this is our latest release along with um, the ensemble. Ensemble, okay. Okay, so this San Martin, which actually it's spelled together as San Martin. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, <laughs> but that's how they that's how the masters spell it, and we respect that. Yeah, as we respect anything they make. Sure. And they would know best. Of course, they would know best. So they, they they make it, mm -hmm. and really, that's that's not our job. And we will never put in a hand. We will never put a mano negra into the uh, into the process. Right, right. And and um, this San Martin here that we're tr that we're drinking right now. Let me serve myself a bit more, so I keep on talking. <laughs> <laughs> I sh you should serve me more, so I keep on listening. Does it work yes, the same way? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Actually, just any excuse to sip this particular mezcal again exactly. is is worth it. I think. This San Martin, as I was telling you earlier, is a Karwinski. Yeah. And it's a Karwinski that's from the area of Ejutla. Um, that's how they call this particular um, Karwinski in, um, in Ejutla. Ejutla is um, on the, it's, it's in Oaxaca towards uh, Minas, um, Santa Catarina Minas, Minas which yeah. Minas is a, Minas, everyone knows Minas. There's a fantastic brand that I have all my respect for, which is um, which is Real de Minas. And, um, and I did sneak in a picture there. Sorry, I know it's you. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> I, 
I got nervous with it. With but a hutla. I mean, I've only been there once, and I really want to go. I really want to go back, as I was telling you before. I haven't had a chance to be in Oaxaca as much as I wanted to. Yeah. Pedro, who's um, the CEO of the company and the founder of, of Mano Negra and a really good friend of mine, he spends most most his time there. And I mean, his role is obviously more dedicated into into production mm-hmm. and to and all the relationships with um with with, with the maestros and um, but. Ejutla is a beautiful place where there's, n- I think there's 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 not that many um, distilleries as you would see in San Luis or right. Matatlan or Minas or Diego Lay maybe, sorry, Candelaria, Diego. Candelaria, etc. But there is um, but there are fantastic mezcals and and we were surprised when when we had this opportunity to team up with with um, with Juan Pacheco and Basilio who was his dad who started the the tradition mezcal he's been he's been selling mezcal for since Juan was a kid and Juan he's probably like 50 something right now wow. and so his his dad must be like 70 something is right. mid 70s so i mean production there at least at th- at that site has at least 50 to 60 years where they they've been making mezcal there in Ejutla. Yeah. and now for us as is always been sat- satisfying to work with other producers and now we've had the chance to Start bottling this and, and putting it around everywhere. Yeah. This, and I mean, th- this is remarkable. Thank and, you. You know, and you said this is 49% ABV, which is great. It's like kind of perfect because it's still light enough. It doesn't come across as, I mean, again, we talked about this before. It's Karwinski, but not, not in the way that you would think. Mm-mm. It's not dark and brooding. It is light and lovely and romantic. You know, it has a much different and more accessible flavor for me. It's very, very lovely. This Thank is the first you. time. Thank you. I mean, for for us, especially for Pedro, who takes care of um, of um, really picking what goes into our bottles yeah. and whatnot. I think that last thing that you mentioned about it being about being smooth and soft is always is always a, a trait that we always have to have in our mezcals. Yeah, and we have mezcals that range. Uh, usually, Marca Negra range always from like the low. 48s up to like 53, 54. Yeah. But they're always smooth. Meteor is a different story. It's always at 45, right. and we have a reason behind that. But Marca Negra, which is a brand that's more focused on to the complexity of mezcal and to really putting expressions out there that really define on how mezcal is made by each and every one of the producers. Yeah. And that's why we put all the name of the of, of who makes it, their signature, the, the town... Blah, blah, blah. We, we really, I mean, this is an author drink, and we, yes. we, we, always, we always respect that, and we're always going to respect that. That's, that's what Marca Negra is. But I think that's what you'll find in, in all, our, all our different expressions, that now we have, we have five, well, six, really, with the Arroqueño that, right. you, that you said, but the Arroqueño has been discontinued for six now. years now, it's going to be back. Maybe two, three years. Yeah. We're really not that sure, but um, the five that we have right now—they're all really consistent, mm. and they're really good quality mezcals. Yeah, absolutely. So, sipping this one, the newest one, the one maybe that's the least familiar because it's been around the least amount. Mm-hmm. How does this one make you feel? This one? Yeah. At this moment, really good. Yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you why. Because I stopped drinking for a few for a few weeks. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot here. No, no, no. I'm, I'm happy to drink. <laughs> <laughs> I've been missing this. Yeah. I, 
was here two two weeks ago at the opening of this of Las Perlas, and I couldn't drink. <laughs> <laughs> Last week I was in Nashville, Tennessee, at the food and wine um, fest. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a really cool city, Nashville, and I couldn't eat or drink anything. Oh man! And now I find yesterday I, I I could finally drink some mezcal and and beer, and it happens to be that this mezcal is actually chilly. You know why? Why? Because I brought it from Denver, <laughs> and, and the airplane was really cold, and yeah, look, fill, fill the bottle. Oh, man, it's perfect. No, it's perfect. It's, it's perfect. Denver, your own wine cellar. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, so I've got two questions left for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to get some time here in Austin, which is going to be great, hopefully, now that you get to sip a little bit more. It might be even more enjoyable than the first time. Mm-hmm. But the first question I've got of these two is, I get that you have probably a lot of influences, probably maybe in pop culture and music and art and all of that. So let's say you've got a bottle of the San Martin, and you can sip it anywhere in the world. doesn't matter where. Mm-hmm. But if you could sit and sip and have a conversation with anybody, living or deceased, who would you love to just sit there and wax poetic with? Who, who would I love to? Yeah. And where or who? Just whom. Yeah. Whom? Yeah. I would, love to, I would love to sit down with Javier, who's... He's he's my uh, my really good friend from Spain. Yeah. He lives in Madrid now, but we met in Australia. And um, and he's he's basically my brother from another mother. Yeah, you yeah. guys really connected. Yeah, we're really connected. It's the guy that you can sit down with. I don't know, six hours and talk about life and yeah. really connect. It's a guy, it's a person I really miss a lot. I think I'm gonna see him next week. I haven't seen him in in a couple of years. Oh really? Yeah yeah. Well, hopefully your travels well, do take you. Yeah. yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Well, then the last question I have for you, being entrepreneurial by nature, having these amazing mezcals in your collection, your portfolio, have you thought about what's next? Is it a new product? Is it a new venture for you? Or are things going just fine right now? What I, what I love about our company and the way that we work and we, I mean, Pedro and I, and right now it's 12 people that are di- directly work with, um, yeah. w- with the brands, is that we are really creative and we're really energetic about doing new things. And by new things, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying do an- another project, or another, but we, we really like to innovate. And that's why if you see on how we l- communicate, we're always coming up with new ways of of promoting not not only our brands but the 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 category or or the mezcal life yeah so we like to do a lot of um a lot of pos we like to do a lot of um we i mean sometimes i sit down with pedro and our designer whose name is fran and we're like what what should we do to make something cool related to mezcal so we're like let's design t-shirts today let's do hats let's do pins i actually have one oh cool Let's do flasks. Let's do. Um, let's create an experience of mezcal. Let's. Let's. Um, and this is. I mean, this is too soon to say, but we've always wanted to start a, a bar, like yeah. a, a mezcal bar. You know, it's amazing. And I was. I was talking to Seth Moses, who owns um, Las Perlas. Yeah, yeah. I think he's one of the creators of this concept and of many more concepts. But I was. Just, I was telling him it's. It's amazing how in Mexico City. There is. There is no really good mezcal bars. Really? No, I'm not saying good mezcal. I mean, obviously, there's good mezcals that you can drink. Right, but, but the bar itself's not exactly, good. Exactly, but yeah. they're scattered out in different places. So you can go to really nice high-end places or little, like, mezcal bars in 
in downtown Mexico City, but you can't really find a place like you would come in, and I can name at least five of them in the States yeah. and five of them in Europe. And, 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 and there, are, there are bars, that, or there are mezcal bars that you go up to and you see like at least 180 different expressions, like yeah. in Mosto in San Francisco. Um, that's where our good, um, our brand ambassador, for, uh, he, he, he works there. His name is Ted Ronnie, who I really love. And, but you go to these places and they have 180 different kinds of, of mezcals. You wow. can't even get that, var- that selection in Mexico. And, me- and, me- and mezcal is from Mexico. Me. Yeah, right. So we've always had this idea of, of, of starting to do that. And maybe that's like in, in, in the future to at least create the concept. Yeah. Not for us to manage it or operate it, but it could create the concept of a place in Mexico City where you can really get the whole spectrum of really good mezcal and try it and especially get educated on yeah. it. You know? Creating the vehicle. Or, that's exactly. amazing, man. Mm-hmm. All the parts are in place, but there's not the right vehicle to carry them to people to help educate and drive the message through. Well, I'm excited. We'll see. You know, we talk about <laughs> what relationships, and obviously, it, Mescal is all about relationships. It's all about people. It's about culture. And to sit mm-hmm. here and sip this with you has been just a really pleasure, Carlos. Short notice, too. Thanks for accommodating. I got a couple days. <laughs> it's been good, man. No, it's been good. I, I, I really, I really want to thank you oh, sure. for You're taking welcome. your time um, to listen to me. I don't really do this often. Yeah, you should. But I like it. Good. <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, and I'm always pleased to meet people um, that are interested in the category and in not only the category, but in real history of the people behind cool things. Yeah. And it's not only mezcal. I, I know that you do other things um, and, and, and other categories around spirits. And, um, and I think that's where the real story is. And I, I'm, so. I really want to thank you for, for, for doing that. Oh, and, it's my pleasure. And, and keeping those stories alive and putting them out there. Yeah, that's, that's the fun part. Exactly. Sitting here chatting with you, these are the kinds of moments I really do live for me. So, Good. Carlos, thanks so much for meeting. And... You know, you're going to have a good time here at Las Perlas at 7, so we'll drink some more, hopefully. For sure. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Well, there we have it. The lovely Carlos Sara of Marca Negra and the co-founder of Meteoro Mezcal. Some great sips, some great stories, and it's been an interesting journey for him. Very much an intelligent guy wanting to learn more, finding ways to use his talents and his business acumen to make things happen and i'm so glad that he landed in the world of agave to spread this beautiful spirit you know the araqueño we talk about the tapestate the dobadan and we get to sip that san martin from marco negra and it's brilliant stuff man you guys are putting out great products and so thanks so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with me we'll have to catch a show sometime soon so thanks everybody for listening to show to view with mike g no matter what Candy, you're really, really aching for as Halloween arrives next week or how much time you're going to spend binge-watching Stranger Things Season 2 or, as they call it, Stranger Things Part 2 on Netflix. Please, you can't see